0: This podcast is for you if you want to learn about the wonderful and wacky world of the English language and the people who speak it. If you want to learn English, speak English, and understand different speakers of English, then you're in the right place and you're going to love our podcast episode today. Welcome to English World with Chris Amerikos. We are a team of language lovers, expert teachers, and native speakers who are on a mission to help people around the world speak English and show the world their true value. We correct mistakes, practice pronunciation, and explore grammar rules while drinking coffee and having fun. So get comfortable, relax, grab a pen and paper, and welcome to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by English Every Day, an unlimited speaking practice program where you can join live speaking practice lessons with professional native teachers five times every day. There are a lot of courses on the internet and a lot of useful videos too, but the one thing that is missing for most English learners is practice. And if you need speaking practice, then English Every Day is for you. So click the link in the description or go to chrisamericost.com to learn more today.
1: All right, today we're here with Robert Salo, who has been working with me for quite some time. I didn't sit down and count exactly how many years, months, days, whatever, uh, but it's a lot and a lot of hours too. Um, And Robert is one of those people who makes extraordinary things seem every day you'll hear when we talk about it today he's been traveling around the world living in different countries different jobs different types of living arrangements (laughs) and he's gonna tell it to you like so nonchalant uh robert how did you get into all of this how did how did your you know, English teaching journey start and bring us back to day one.
2: So day one really began before day one. Um, I was doing a lot of temp work in my mid to late 20s. And one of my coworkers saw that I was learning Turkish on Duolingo. And I liked practicing Spanish with her. So she says, oh, you like languages, you should teach English. But I had my own side business at the time. And I was putting all of my time into it. Like, "Eh, Not right now. And then after the business fell through, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? So I started with my TEFL certificate because I thought about what she said. Uh, And then when 2020 happened and people were getting censored a lot on the internet, I was like, okay, so I'm going to use this to help people say what they want to say. Uh, So I was looking around, you know, different apps, jobs for side work. And that's when I happened on your company. Uh, I believe you invited me for an interview and that was day one.
1: Sweet. So what was that other business? What what side business were you doing before? Uh, Online retail. Okay. Yeah. Any, any certain types of products or?
2: Overpriced stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. How is selling English lessons different from selling retail stuff? Because I think a lot of people who listen um, might be teachers themselves. Mm -hmm. And they might kind of have this question because um, it's a different product. It's a different kind of product to sell, right? It totally is. Um, So with... Online
2: retail, you're really just throwing your net out there, and you want to get as in front of as many people as possible. And with teaching English, that's true, but the market kind of comes to you. If you're doing it right, you don't really have to go out there and meet people as much to put yourself out there. You don't have to post your link everywhere. If you do your SEO correctly, which I learned from you. Um, if if you create a space for people to come to you, that's kind of enough. So, if you're a little bit more introverted and you're not really a salesman, teaching English is much better.
1: You know, a lot of teachers out there, too, they might hear what we're talking about right now and say, like selling English lessons. What are these guys talking about? like i I'm looking for a job. I work in a school. And you know, I I sometimes tell those people like, well, just because you're not selling your English lessons or your hours to students, it doesn't mean that you're not selling your your hours or, or your English lessons, right? Like you're selling that to a school wholesale uh, if you find a job or something. So you've kind of done all of it. So, So your first experience teaching English was online. Is that right? But then you also have offline teaching experience as well, right?
2: Ah, uh, yes. When um, when I went to Vietnam, but which sounds like a massive jump on its own, but when I went to Vietnam, my contact there had these classes in person set up for me, um, where I would teach a group of students in person, and that was cool. You know, uh, it was something new. And by that time, I was already kind of used to teaching teenagers, but it was online. So it was uh, transformative.
1: Okay, so Vietnam, mm-hmm. where did you start, though? This business and online teaching, where did all that start? It started in my room in Hollywood, Florida. <laughs> Hollywood. Ho- Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And then you got and- to Vietnam. Directly, or no, no. Okay. Uh,
2: first I kind of took the plunge and I hit the road. I got in my car, brought my laptop, some clothes. I just hit the road and drove north and never looked back.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And I went from state to state and jumping around the country and going here, there, everywhere. Uh, and then I got to Texas and it was my second time in Texas. And one of your former students uh, invited me to Mexico and I was like, well, you know, I was going to settle in South Dakota, you know, no income tax, kind of cheap to live there. And then I looked at Airbnb prices in Mexico and I was like, you know what, Mexico looks pretty good. (laughs) And uh, I ended up staying there for about eight months, you know, doing
1: visa runs, but on and off eight months. So how many Uh, states did you hit before that? Because you said you were kind of bouncing around.
2: Oh, um, I messed around in North Florida for a little while. And then I went to Georgia, South Carolina, three, Illinois,
1: Kentucky, Texas, Arkansas, eight states. Wow. And so you stopped in each of those states for a little while and... Yeah, at least a month. Okay. hmm That's so cool. So you really got to see the diversity within the country. Yeah. And then you took that up a notch.
2: hmm
1: So, okay. So then eight months in Mexico. How was that? Awesome. I love Mexico. Uh, well, I love northern Mexico. I
2: haven't been down south yet. Um, I So I love barbecue and man, they do barbecue. Um, Also, they have sweets. I thought when I went overseas, I was going to lose all this weight because the food's healthier. And then I discovered penguinos. I did not lose
1: the weight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When I went to Mexico and I saw penguinos, I was like, oh, that reminded me of high school because we had the same thing, but it was called cupcakes or something like hostess zebra cupcakes. cakes or zebra cakes yeah. yeah man you should you should check out argentina as they have amazing barbecue like world-class barbecue it's called asado yeah carne asada uh uh-huh. yeah so like like this uh type of preparing the meat right like uh like barbecue cooking basically right so mm-hmm. um they do this but they have this special You know special beef that they raise in argentina that's considered like the most tender like the the cows that they raise are if i'm not mistaken are like miniature they're like a lot smaller than than regular ones and argentina has its own version of cowboys they're called gauchos and Hmm. um yeah it's really it's really interesting and then You know they have a lot of uh sweets too made with uh what is it dulce de leche
2: oh okay
1: Uh uh-huh um condensed milk in english yeah um yeah i was i was really surprised but the the barbecue thing is huge there and then you pair that with argentinian red wine and game over (laughs) Mm -hmm. so mexico you got to be in northern mexico about eight months you really liked it. Great experience. And what about teaching there? Were you online, offline? And how was it, it maybe different teaching like that than in the States?
2: So I was online still. Okay. But things were slowing down a little. Uh, so I started teaching on the side online also with some Mexican students, some Vietnamese students. Um, and so I, I was just packing my schedule. I didn't teach so much in person. Um, my contact and I were handing out flyers in person. I didn't, I'm not a salesman, like I said earlier, so that wasn't really my forte, but you know, we, we tried it Found plenty of students. Um, we were going to have a thing where I would teach in person, but that didn't really work out. Um, it's okay though.
1: Okay. So you just end up getting a lot of online students.
2: Yeah, and that's where I got my first experience
1: teaching teenagers. And that's a lot different from teaching adults, probably. Yeah. Yep. Were they motivated to be there?
2: I would say so, some more than others. Um, There there was one kid, he really didn't want to learn it academically. He was a bit of a gamer. Uh So we would talk about things like video games for his practice, and I would sort of sneak in the grammar, you know? just sort of "Mm." (laughs) and his parents really liked that and i ended up teaching his sisters too um
1: yeah word of mouth works really well in mexico did mexico for about eight months then vietnam yeah yep and so Um, how was how was that because not only were you on the other side of the world mm -hmm. but things probably work a little differently
2: Oh uh, yeah it's a different planet dude right. um so it's around the holiday season i had gone home to my family and my contact in vietnam says hey you know i have classes already set up who would love to have a native teacher um i do have moroccan teachers here who are on the way out you know they're doing their own thing um i can set up a visa for you I don't need your passport i just need you to come by and you can apply here and then i got there it turned out they did need my passport and that was a little uncomfortable but you know it, other than that the people were very friendly um there was some bureaucracy to get through but it
1: wasn't that bad. I, it was like maybe a day's trip at worst you know okay so the passport thing yeah, they said that they didn't need your passport, but th- but then when you arrived in Vietnam, they needed it. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then the bureaucracy. Tell us a little bit about that. What's what's a Vietnamese so, bureaucracy in the English teaching space look like?
2: Uh, so I had to get my approval letter, and invitation letter, before I went to the airport, mm-hmm. and that didn't work out. I had to stay a night, a few nights in Dallas. Before I could even fly to Japan. Um, so I had to have that squared away. Because I went from Miami to Dallas to Japan to Vietnam. Okay. But I had to have my paperwork squared away before I ever left the state. So once that was taken care of, after a few nights in Dallas, um, I went on my 14-hour flight to v- to uh, Japan and then my 8-hour flight to Vietnam.
1: Sounds like quite an adventure. Yep. That was New Year's. Wow. So you're traveling all through the night on New Year's. You mm-hmm. get to Vietnam on New Year's Day.
0: hmm
2: And I get to the counter, and I only knew, like, a few words in Vietnamese. I tried learning it. Nothing stuck. You know, beautiful language, nice language, but it just, in one ear, out the other. Um. People behind the counter were cool, though. They gave me the stamp. I paid them the money. And then my contact was waiting for me in the airport. And we uh, spent the night in Hanoi. And then we went on this bus to Vinh. And the buses have little beds in them. But I'm kind of a big guy. So I was, like, squeezing into the bed. Still very comfy. And they gave me cake. So there's, like, my stomach sitting there, like a little platter with the cake (laughs) on top of it. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I looked like an otter eating a clam. <laughs> um, and then we had some traditional Vietnamese food along the way. It was very nice. It was an interesting country. I I would go through that experience again, just be aware of the passport.
1: And so how long did you end up staying there?
2: Oh, geez. Uh, five or six months. It wasn't as long as Mexico. Mhm. Yeah. That was five months because um, after Vietnam, I went to Turkey and
1: spent my birthday there. Okay. And how long did you stay there?
2: They only give you a, a visa for three months at a time. So I was there for three months.
1: Okay. Cool. So then you went to Turkey. Okay. And when where are you now? Now I'm in Georgia. Okay. And that's the country, not the state. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, so you went from Turkey to Georgia? hmm Okay. So you stayed in Turkey three months. Now you're in Georgia. How long have you been in Georgia? It's my second month. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you really got a, a good taste of four different countries. Yeah, I did. And not counting the states where you experienced eight different states.
2: Well, sort of, because in between Vietnam and Turkey, Mm -hmm. I spent about a a month in Thailand.
1: Wow, add one more.
2: Yeah. But I I didn't really give Thailand the time or attention it deserved, because the people were just really nice in Thailand. It was a lot like Mexico, Mm -hmm. where how they were just always friendly, totally understood that I didn't speak Thai. I wish I did. But uh, I'm so happy to go back
1: okay so so, yeah, you had a different experience in each country and mm-hmm. kind of different work in each country, and you know completely different thing in each in each place. Um, mm-hmm. How would you rate these different places in terms of maybe just just a foreigner traveling there or even you know, as an English teacher, what do you think?
2: Well, if you're going there for, if you're going to any of these places for work, it's a totally different experience, which I generally don't. Um, Vietnam, I did go there for work and I had the proper visa set up and it was going to be okay. And it's super easy to find work in Vietnam because people from the schools will walk right up to you and ask you, are you looking for work? You know, I see on all these different forums, um, all these different expat groups. Oh no, you need... A master's degree, and you need a doctorate's degree to teach here. And oh, the pay is nothing, and you won't be able to find any work. Nah, dude, they're looking for you. Uh huh. Now, whether or not they can sponsor you is a totally different story. You have to get right with the government.
1: So this is mostly about working in the country. Get your documents in order.
2: Mm-hmm. Be legal. Yes, That's you want you want to be legal wherever you go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then. Comparing working in those places to just traveling to those places, visiting those places, you said it's different.
2: Yes. So traveling for work, I really only did for Vietnam. When I went to Thailand, I was working online. So all I really needed from them was a Wi-Fi connection. And I didn't really have to deal with the government that much. It was all just, you know, oh, here's my passport. Thanks. Stamp giving back my passport, and that's the last that I saw the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, it was just dealing with locals and the local for nice. Um, it was the same with Turkey. With Turkey, I just, here's my passport, here's the visa, the e-visa. Hey, welcome to Turkey, stamp. And that was the last I saw the government, until I went
1: to Ankara, because, you
2: know, it's the capital.
1: And so what was different in Ankara?
2: Well, you had places with armed guards, you had military buildings. I won't say they were bases, but it was very complete stay away if you're a civilian. So I did.
1: <laughs> okay. So what about, I don't know, maybe maybe cultural differences or things like this that you have run into along the way? Because I'm sure you've got a nice collection of funny stories, maybe things like funny situations you found yourself in or things that you saw happening around you or, Mm -hmm. you know, tell us about something like that. Yeah.
2: Wow. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin with that. I could start in the States because of the cultural differences. Um, Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, So Georgia, it's very conservative on the surface. And this is the state. The state. Yes. Mm -hmm it's very conservative on the surface you know people will openly talk about christianity there it's it's very much a red state even if the, there are like people who vote blue there they're very it, you go there and it feels like your home i guess if if you want somewhere where you're not talking about your private life right georgia the state is a good place for that Until you get into the nightlife. Um, So my Airbnb hosts there were dropping very subtle hints that there was more going on than they had posted publicly. Um, For their privacy, I'm not going to say exactly what, but not everything is as it seems. The people are super friendly, and some of them genuinely do believe in that very clean, conservative lifestyle. Not everybody. And there's a community for that. Okay. And then, you know, you go up to North Carolina or South Carolina and it's much more of a mix of politics and the people are still very nice, but not quite the same as Georgia state. And then I stopped in Louisville and that is super liberal, super (laughs) like extreme liberal. And then I passed through there. And I was a little bit worried because I had an American flag sticker on my car. <laughs> uh, I did not stay there long. But then I went to Texas and they were very serious about keeping it conservative there. And I was like, yeah, I, don't, I don't care. Sure. And then I go to Mexico and it's not so much about the politics. It's just about respect. Mm-hmm. Um. In Mexico, it was... You know, hey, you're foreign, but that's all right. You know, as long as you respect that this is Mexico, you're more than welcome. You know, if you try to use Spanish, excellent. If you're nice to people, perfect. No problem. They had all these things that made Mexico different that were really pluses. They had night markets, usually close to your neighborhood, wherever you were, where they would set up these tents and they would sell things. And it was pretty cool to food in those night markets was amazing. <laughs> um, they had their own brand of beer, just like any other country. Um, and they joke about it a lot, like, oh, tecate, cawama, yeah. And then, uh, I still joke about it with my friends over there. The best thing about Mexico is the people. The food, of course, is a nat- national treasure, but the people were just super nice
1: you know, in the States or, or I guess in a, in the country that you grow up or or that you are raised in, right. You know a lot more of the internal goings on of the, uh, of the company, uh, of the company, of the country, you know, a lot more about the internal workings of the, of the country. And so like things like politics, you can touch them, but when you go to another country, it's kind of hard to get that deep into into the culture of the country because like people might talk about it or something, but it's not really your fight. Like a political party in your country, they're talking about something and you're like, they're talking about me, but then mm-hmm. you go to another country and there's a political party. They could be talking about the same stuff, but you're just kind of like, well, you're making decisions about this country and that's not me. Right. Yeah.
2: You know, it, you're right. And in the back of my mind, I always thought the same thing. You know, it's their country. It's their business. Vietnam is where I got to see that in person. And I really liked it. Um, I went to, I can't remember if it was his mom or his dad's house, Ho Chi Minh's parents' house. And there was a quote from him. I don't know the exact translation because my Vietnamese is not that good. But it was basically talking about how sovereignty is the most important aspect. And it vibed with me. I liked that, you know because you can take that on a personal level and that's how it is with politics in another country. Um, I went to Vietnam and their politics were their business and they let the politicians handle it, not my problem. I went to Thailand, same thing. Their politics, their business, not my problem. Turkey, they're very vocal about whether or not they like the government in place but it's their government, you know, it's, it's their business.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I went, when I went to a few different countries, they would ask me, Oh, what do you think about this person? What do you think about this Mm -hmm. president? What do you think about this? Right. So they they always want to know what your opinion is about their leader. Mm -hmm. And so like you're, you're, you want to say something smart, you want to like be informed, but at the same time, It's hard because you're like representing your whole country and people kind of take it that way. Like if I've never met an American person and I meet this one American person and he says this, then for me, that means all American people think this or something like that. Right.
2: It does come out that way a lot. Um, What I've found is that you want to get their take on that politician And because the U.S. is such a big country, we can usually compare it to a senator or a congressman or even one of our presidents. Be like, oh, he or she is kind of like this or kind of like our guy. And their policies are very similar. Um, This is what people thought of them at the time. Mm -hmm. And you can give an objective answer like that. And both of you walk away pretty happy.
1: So just relate it back to your own personal experience. Yeah, it, you can't really talk good, about
2: theirs. Well, you you can't because you're not them. You know, yeah. um, somebody asked me about about Ho Chi Minh, and you know, being in Vietnam, they want respect, and he is kind of like the George Washington and the Thomas Jefferson and the Ben Franklin of Vietnam. So it's like a massive deal. You know, but he's also like their autoturk. He's also like like all these other people who were the foundation of a country. And that's really how you can bring yourself together with the people by making comparisons. Even though they might not be a hundred percent accurate, it gives them a chance to build a bridge and
1: walk across and meet you. Okay, so culturally, it was a lot different going from Mexico to Vietnam what about vietnam to turkey turkey to thailand thailand to georgia
2: well from vietnam to thailand it was very different um really yes there was a lot less bureaucracy because i wasn't going there for work um the people were still very welcoming um but it was more I'm not sure how to put it, it it's it's you really have to go there to experience the difference between Thailand and Vietnam. There's a very clear difference, but there's also a very different experience with Americans because America never had any conflict with Thailand. We did with Vietnam because we were allies with the French. There's a different attitude now from Southeast Asia to Turkey that was a big change because now you're dealing with a whole different history, a whole, depending on your political views, a whole different continent. The people at the border in Turkey just wanted to do their job and go home. It wasn't like a, you know, they they did their job well, but they weren't like super fixated on it where everything had to be perfect as long as your documents were in order. Welcome to Turkey.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then when you deal with the people in Turkey, they really want you to feel welcome. Like Vietnam and Thailand, they do too. But they're also just people living their lives with their own culture, with their own identity. And in Turkey, hospitality is a massive part of their identity. It's super indicative of what it is to be Turkish, you know? Um if you ask any Turkish person they'll tell you oh yeah you know uh when you come here you don't even really need to leave the hotel because they have everything there i'm just an Airbnb guy so i do leave the Airbnb to go find what i want but it's all there and the people are happy to help you just like in Vietnam or Thailand but they're like super oh my god let me show you where this is uh is there anything you're having trouble with here? Is there any questions that you have about Turkey? And you can generally ask everyone. And they're not too busy to help you. They're happy to do it.
1: So very hospitable in in Turkey. Enthusiastically, yeah. So that's an, that's an interesting point to compare to because hospitality is a lot different in different countries. Mm-hmm. Not just the service nature of hospitality, even when that's on a personal level, but Mm -hmm. more so like the role that hospitality plays in their national identity and and, in the culture. Um, I, you know, I I have my, I'll give my personal experience and then I'll ask about yours. Like living in Russia, I saw that hospitality, like the the whole concept of hospitality was flipped on its head from what was in the States Mm -hmm. because in russia it was always about um you need to be a good host Mm -hmm. so like people come to your house or to your party or whatever and you need to entertain them you need to provide for them you're the host they're the guest and this was very clear like these roles were very clear very important and in the states it kind of felt like coming from the States like growing up there as a kid and everything, it felt to me like, well, in the States it's more important to be a guest Mm -hmm. than a host. Like we have this concept of like the host provided the house provided the place. So the guests come and try to act very polite and try to, they try to be a good guest. So like the focus is on being a good guest more than being a good host. And um, so like, sure, when you come to someone's house, they they might put out snacks or sure, when you go to someone's house, you might bring a gift or you might bring chocolates or a bottle of wine or so like that's kind of standard all over the place. But, um, there's not this like big push in, in American culture where, like, okay, I have guests in my house. And that means that I have to entertain. I have to dance around. I have to make sure they're happy. I have to make, I have to make sure everyone has a drink right now without them asking. I have to make sure I've offered food 10 times, even if they said no, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there's not this kind of hosting, at least, at at least, you know, sure. I've seen it in the States too, but like we're, we're, we're generalizing, but But overall, I felt like this was a lot different. And in Russian, they even have like a different way of talking about this. So like in in English, we'll say, hey, do you want to come over to my house? You want to come over? Do you want to hang out? Do you want to stop by? Do you want to do something at my house? Right. We'll describe this action that we're going to take at the house Mm -hmm. or at the place. But in Russian, when you ask someone to come to your house, the role is clearly set because you don't ask them, hey, do you want to just come over? Do you want to hang out? Do you want to come to my place? You say, do you want to come in guest? Uh-huh. And basically like as a guest. So you have to use this phrase to make it clear that this is your invitation to the hosting event. And so from the invitation, the moment of the invitation, the roles are already set in this someone's supposed to host someone's supposed to guest so if i'm a guest i might show up with something small but i know that there's food there's drinks there's entertainment waiting for me and so like i come ready to feast as a guest mm-hmm. whereas in the states it's more like i come to your house and it's it's i think it's it's about this respect right where do we apply respect and and who do we apply respect to in different situations so in the states it it felt more like as a guest, I'm approaching being super respectful, right? Like you've probably seen a ton of times, American people, like the host will say, "Hey, oh, do you want some food?" "Oh, no, I'm okay. Are you sure? You are you sure?" "Oh, well, okay, I will." Like it's kind of polite mm-hmm. to say no at first, even if you, if even if you want it. Um, so like in different culture in different countries this might be different what's your experience around this topic
2: so I've been invited to someone's house in Mexico and Vietnam in Mexico uh, what we did it it was very much reciprocal like in the US where if it's someone's birthday of course you bring them a gift um, if they're just coming to or if you're just coming over to hang out You might offer them, you know, a drink or, you know, if you're having dinner, you would offer them a place at the table. And of course, you would make enough for everybody. They're very kind about that. Um, It's not that they're crazy about it. It's that they're open to you about it. You're, You're welcome. You're a friend. Come on in. The door's open. And I see that in a lot of different parts of Mexican culture where they're they're very welcoming people and and they're ready for you much of the time um my neighbors i would be walking down the street to just go to the oxo to get something and they're like hey you want some chicken because they were barbecuing chicken in the front (laughs) and yeah all the time like a few times a week at least i would be walking down the street and say hey you want some chicken i'm kind of chickened out but (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, and it's polite to accept. And the food is so good, like all the time. <laughs> it's so good, man. Every, every other day I'm writing on Facebook, I miss Mexico.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I went there for two weeks and got to do Christmas with a Mexican family and New Year's with them. And um, it was great. It was such a great experience. They're really hospitable. But at the same time, I understood that the people that I was with were kind of like in a higher class, you know, like they were doing some stuff that I, I felt like most people couldn't afford there. And
2: uh, they were living that San Pedro life.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So, um, so that, so I felt like I didn't get the, the nitty, the the down and gritty experience, you know,
2: I, I didn't live in Juarez or Guadalupe. I did live in a place that wasn't upper middle class or San Pedro. I I lived in a place that was about where I am, a, about at my class, like lower middle class. Um, not going to say where it is. I don't want them to feel any kind of way. But I was living by a place where the river was used to carry away the the waste, and oh. we would joke about that. My my friends and I would joke about that. Was, oh, it's the Rio Caca. And, yeah. And, you Know it was okay, it was still warm, it was still a home. Um, the river, no, not the river, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not about the river, warm, <laughs> yeah, that'd be warm. All right, <laughs> get a nice fragrance going.
1: Um, yeah, ah, let's bath. go for a romantic walk by the river. Yeah, so okay, so, so, hospitality in Mexico, rather similar to the United States, we could say, I think, and. Mm-hmm. And um probably more hospitable coming it from America guys.
2: <laughs> it, compared to some places, yes. I would say it's a lot like how the American South prides themselves on hospitality. They're like that, but they want you to be
1: involved with their family too. Yeah. Yeah, very family-oriented. That's what I saw yeah. from my experience ago, too. Yeah. Um and then Vietnam. So, how was how was that different in this way?
2: Um, Vietnam. They still wanted me to be uh, to interact with their family and their family's friends, and I was invited to people's houses. They were very kind. They had food out. Um, very, it was traditional Vietnamese food. It was very good. They do so well with seafood. Just I can't recommend it enough. Um, but they all you know Mexico they did offer me alcohol, Vietnam they were like, drink drink, <laughs> drink I was like yeah. and we were we were doing Tet holiday, and that was like maybe what maybe the third drunkest I've been that year
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> but well, I mean, with all the countries, you have to compare, right? so, yeah, I forget <laughs> what I was drinking,
2: but whoa. And we we had some fun with that. When they vacation, they know how to vacation. That's and fun. we were out in the countryside. It was it was awesome. It felt like I was visiting my uncle in Texas because um Texans they also like to drink. And I was just drinking with their family and having a blast, you know. Lots of really fun hospitality. Um, A lot like Mexico in that way. It's less about the symbolism for the celebration. It's maybe not as much music. In Mexico, they really like their music. Um, Vietnam, they have cultural music. It's very nice. But the focus is on getting together with the family and chatting. Whereas with Mexico, it's about getting together and having a lot of fun together and you know, uh, eating a lot of food and just you know, it's it's a little bit different in Vietnam, and it's really it's hard to get in there and describe it. Both of them are a lot of fun. Both of them they have alcohol, but wow, <laughs> they they want you to drink a lot in Vietnam. At least with my experience, uh, have you? They're not the
1: nice hmm? Okay. Have you tried the Vietnamese coffee? Oh, I drank a lot of Vietnamese coffee. That was good, right?
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was my morning.
1: Yeah, I had one classmate in my uh, master's degree program who was Vietnamese, Mm. and she was this tiny, tiny little girl. Like, If you saw her from a mile or from a distance, if you saw her from a distance, you probably think that she was like, Nine years old, you know, like Mm -hmm. she was tiny, and but she was older than me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we were in the same master's degree program. And one day she was like, Oh, you have to go to this Vietnamese restaurant and order Vietnamese coffee if you've never had it. And I was like, Yeah, I've never had it. So ordered it, and I was like, Wow, this is this is so great. I'm not a big coffee drinker to begin with, but it was just this special, special taste. (laughs) You are. Oh, yeah, or maybe that's our next topic around coffee around the world then we could
2: do that for sure.
1: So um, let's finish up with hospitality, though. so we we talked a little bit about Vietnam. Um in Thailand, you didn't really have that kind of experience. It sounded like because you, did you go to a someone's house or anything like that?
2: I really wish I had um. Unfortunately, I didn't really have any contacts in Bangkok who were available. Um, I had an Airbnb and I just sort of hung out there for the month. People were super nice. I I can't say enough nice things about them. But I didn't get to go to anyone's house.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't always work out like that, right? So, yeah, especially when you're traveling the way you do. Yeah. One man band.
2: Yeah, I'm a rambling man. <laughs>
1: okay. So then hospitality in Turkey, we talked about that a little bit. That was kind of your your big hospitality experience, right?
2: Oh yeah. That was like Mexico. That that was like Mexico and Vietnam. Turkey was up there too. Um I was I started out in Chile. I didn't know anybody there, but then I went to uh Uscudar, Or no, I went to Katakoy and my contact was in Uskudar. Or no, my contact was in Umranye. I was in Karakoy. Okay. And I was going to go to Uskudar. But we met up and we hung out and we partied at, at this one uh, bar. And there were friends. And it was really cool. Uh, I did, I came ready to pay for myself and possibly them. But no, they paid for everything. Um, <laughs> and we were dancing and drinking. It was a lot of fun love the hospitality in Istanbul which that's the like the province of where we were very friendly and then I went down to Ankara and I met with um with Osge and her family and we went out to eat twice if I remember correctly also very friendly um like Mexico very family oriented very kind
1: another question that some people might have too is you know the question of religion because moving through these different countries, you're kind of coming into contact with different religious groups who might have some different values, and or, or maybe the same values that are just expressed in a very different way. And so, like, Mexico is mostly Roman Catholic, right?
2: Well, I wouldn't even go as so far as to say Roman, but definitely Catholic.
1: Okay. Yeah. Mostly Catholic. And then we get to yeah. Vietnam and this is mostly Buddhist? No. Yeah. No.
2: Vietnam is non-religious, but with some spiritual aspects. Okay. So like um, in, in our country, the liberals are spiritual, but not religious. It's kind of like that in Vietnam. Okay. But the overtone isn't like Christian or new age. It's It's Buddhist. The overtone is Buddhist. With okay. some Christian elements because of the Frenchies.
1: So traditionally it's Buddhist, but yep. communism stomped out religion and, or maybe not even that?
2: Well, I don't even know that it was that. I That would really be a good question for a Vietnamese historian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they do ask you for your religion when you're filling out the paperwork. You don't have to fill that part out um in fact locals will advise you not to
1: they've never because heard it of puts you on a watch list or something it doesn't
2: really put you on a watch list it puts you in a position where it can be a part of the conversation and it doesn't need to be
1: right right yeah so mike from oklahoma comes to vietnam i'm a satanist <laughs> Man. hey good conversation starter for the border guard, tell us a little bit more about what you plan to do while you're here. Yeah, are, are you going to erect a Baphomet statue at our at our city hall?
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I saw that thing too. Yeah. Oh uh, man. So like, yeah, it's so that's interesting too. Though from my experience in Russia, it was like that too, where the underlying tone is Christian, and like mm-hmm. if you ask anyone. 99% of the time, they're going to say Christian, unless you're with some some groups of people who live in Russia that are, that are Muslim. So it's mm-hmm. going to be Christian or Muslim, but have you ever been to church? Like, 50% chance that the answer is no. And have you ever, like, opened the Bible? Do you even know what the stories from there are? Like, f- more than 50% are like, never never like so so how are you so like that that's you know growing up christian in the states i don't have any affiliation now but you know i grew up like that from my parents and uh religion has like these weird nuances in in the states and you you kind of say like well this action isn't a, something a religious person would do uh one that all, that always makes me laugh is smoking like when I was in Russia, I would see priests. I would see people smoking like smoking had nothing to do with if you're a good person or a bad person, a religious person or not. But in the states, I've found that a lot of religious people kind of hold the opinion that like smoking is bad for you and the people around you. So if mm-hmm. you're a good person, you don't do it. And uh, the weird little things that get tied in, right? So it's mm-hmm. so like in when I was in Russia, it was more like, uh, oh, you're you're Christian. Why? Well, my parents told me that I was Christian and my mom gave me this cross when I was seven years old Mm. and, and, and and so I'm Christian and that's it. And so like, there was this like undertone of everybody's Christian, everything's Christian, there's Christian churches and there are mosques. And so like, there's this balance, but in practice, very few people were, were religious as we might say. Right. So Mm and then the same with the the muslim groups in uh russia which are really big like a lot of people discount this and don't don't know about these big big groups of people like tatars and uh, other groups who are traditionally muslim and but still like the group is traditionally muslim that doesn't mean that they are traditionalist muslims like they drink and they eat Pork and they do all the things that, that you know, the hardcore Muslims would say that you don't do that. And they dress like everybody else, you know. Um, so, <clears throat> so that was the, that was how I felt about religion in, in Russia. It sounds like it could be something similar in Vietnam where there's this like undertone, like everyone's Buddhist, but like, do we actually practice or do we actually say that or they wouldn't say that they're buddhist Uh, they
2: would say that they're no religion but then they have pagodas and they make burned offerings um and of course they respect the buddha and they respect the ancestors but they're not it's not in their title it's not what their parents teach them it's just tradition it's a part of vietnamese history and culture um, but when you go to um, Turkey, there are massive mosques, and they are beautiful. and a lot of the people you meet are secular. like their parents may have been Muslim, their grandparents may have been Muslim they they turn it down. A now they do have the five times a day prayers, and you can hear it from the mosques. And you do have imams walking around and you do have women in hijab. I didn't see so many niqabs or burqas. Uh, They're there, just not quite as many. Thailand, they are Buddhist. Um, They are Buddhist. Like, It's not by law they're Buddhist, but many of them by culture are.
1: So that's a big difference going from one country to another, I think. Especially... Um, when you're in a country where five time, five times a day, prayer is observed, uh, publicly, then like, did you, do most people observe that? Do they stop? And do they,
2: you get, you get groups who do, um, in the airport, they have like a, a floor that's dedicated to the masjid where they have a, a side room where people go to pray. Um, they have spaces to pray in the underground markets where like it's painted off and you can get the mat and go ahead and pray there um but it's not like everything shuts down for prayer there are people who don't pray
1: Mm -hmm. and so when you're there Mm -hmm. um as a foreigner then Mm -hmm. what's the expectation like you should be praying with everyone or it's not yours so don't do it or or what yeah what is
2: that the impression that i got was you can if you want to you don't have to you're not expected to the only thing that you have to do is you have to respect the culture and you have to respect the history
1: wherever you go yeah
2: Mm
1: -hmm. okay and then when you went to georgia Mm -hmm. how how did that throw difference into the mix Um, I need to be careful with this one.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, There are priests walking around in their traditional garb, and then they'll have a big blinged out cross. And then there's graffiti on the churches. And they have these big, impressive churches and monasteries. Never seen someone go there. They have these little boxes where you can donate money to the church.
1: Never seen anybody put anything in there. Oh, what else can I say? And which what kind of churches are these? What do- denomination? What religion?
2: They're the Eastern Orthodox. So when Christianity did its thing originally in Rome, it split between the Western Orthodoxy Catholics and the Eastern Orthodoxy Greeks. That just spread everywhere, and they're they're part of that. They're part of the Greek side.
1: Right. And But now they probably have their own Georgian Orthodox church. Yeah. It,
2: well, the Eastern Orthodox, it's relative to a region. So, for example, if you're in Egypt, you have the Coptics, who are technically Eastern Orthodox. If you're in Macedonia, you have the Macedonian Eastern Orthodox, and they all have a patriarch that understands the culture and the people.
1: Yeah okay so that that's religion that's the topic that a lot of people don't like to talk about but we did so boom that's checked off the list yeah uh what about coffee it's
2: i mean depending on your religion for me uh, i'm a pantheist so it's the
1: god's gift to the world
2: robert life is hard here it is
1: (laughs) (laughs) so coffee is part of your religion
2: oh i wish (laughs)
1: but okay the experience of coffee or different types of coffee in different places we talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. vietnamese coffee Mm -hmm. united states coffee i mean it comes from everywhere else i think it's pretty it's been the at least the product of it has been exported all over the country all over the world like starbucks things like that seattle no i did do
2: some business in seattle and seattle coffee is artisanal it's its own thing okay um but that's i mean it's such a big
1: country of course there's going to be somewhere where coffee's a thing okay so mexico was coffee different or the same not the same okay and then vietnam yeah. they have their own coffee so yeah. it was different so when you go to order you know a lot of students and people who come from other countries to the united states mm-hmm. the first time find it really frustrating or confusing, especially if they're in Southern states where it's hotter, when they go to Dunkin' Donuts or someplace to get a coffee, Starbucks or whatever, and they say, I want this coffee. And the person asks if they want ice.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You want iced coffee. And sometimes they even make that assumption, like without asking you, they'll just assume that it's an iced coffee instead of a hot coffee. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a really confusing thing for people who aren't used to it. And like, why would I want ice in my coffee? Like that's, it's a special drink that some people might like, but it's not the coffee that everybody's thinking of when they say coffee. So in, in Vietnam, did you run into any of that where it's like, there's Vietnamese coffee, there's Western coffee. Do I have to call it something different? Do I, is it different? No,
2: no. Uh, They, in Vietnam, they have this place called Highlands Coffee. It's like their Starbucks. It's like their Dunkin' Donuts. It's a little on the pricey side, but it's all right. You can get iced coffee there. You'll usually get it with boba, but not always. Um, you can get it in flavors just like
1: the U.S. No worries. Uh-huh. But so if you go there and you ask for a coffee, mm-hmm. the first thing is a Western coffee or a Vietnamese coffee that they're going to assume?
2: Yeah, they'll they'll assume you want an Americano, which is a hot American-style coffee. If yeah. you ask for Vietnamese coffee, then they'll give
1: you Vietnamese coffee. Mm-hmm. But you're in Vietnam, so you just say coffee, right?
2: No, you would say I would like it Vietnamese style.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then Turkey, any differences in coffee there?
2: Oh, yeah. So they have a special way of making coffee. And if you want ter- traditional Turkish coffee, which is very strong but very good, you say um, Bir Turk. And then they'll give you Turkish coffee, which is special brewed, totally different. Um, It's got like a little bit of ground at the bottom and you would chase it with tea just like you would in Vietnam. Oh, really? Yeah, the taste is different, though.
1: You'll have to go a little more in depth on that because I'm not familiar with that. So you have to chase your coffee with tea. Mm -hmm. Green, black, what?
2: It's like this red herbal tea. Okay. Um, In Vietnam, I never did chase it with tea. Like, I tried it. But my thing was just, no, I'll take it as hard as it comes. No problem. I got this. In Turkey, I was like, maybe I don't got this. So I'm going to chase it with something. Okay. Yeah.
1: Cool. And then Georgia, any coffee differences there? No. Nah. No, it's just like like Western coffee?
2: Yeah, it's just like Western coffee. You can get Turkish coffee, but it's
1: not Turkey. Well, we really talked about a lot of different topics about the places that you've been and I feel like we all got to kind of go on this trip with you during this episode. So Robert, tell everybody how they can find you.
2: So what you do is is <laughs> you make a wish. You say my name three times in a mirror. and you, <laughs> And if you hear... That's when I appear. Oh no, I'm on. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm just got onto Instagram. And if you're in Vietnam,
1: I'm on Zalo. Okay, cool. And so they can just find you, Robert Salo, all those places. We'll also put the links under this uh, episode. So if you're watching or listening, then the link is in the description, so you can find Robert and you can ask him about these amazing adventures. And hey, who knows? Maybe his next adventure will lead him to your doorstep. <laughs> To- totally possible, right?
2: Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much for your time, Robert. It was great chatting. Thanks for having me. Thank
0: you for tuning in to English World with Chris Amerikos. Now it's your turn. Don't just listen to English. Speak English with us every day. Join our English Everyday speaking program today. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.